Welcome to another episode of Conversations with Lankin. I'm your host, James Lankin. My guest today, he's a good friend of mine. He's a retired military vet, and now he's uh, gone on to do bigger and better things. Mr. James Kowser, thank you for joining me. Thank you, James, for having me along, big game. Hey, listen, first of all, I appreciate, before we before we get into the interview and everything, let me just say I appreciate all the support you've been giving me and my family for the last, what, 15 years? Oh, it seems like that, about that. Boy, yeah, when I first started working with your wife, and and I remember I used to come to your house and watch football on Sundays, and, you know, then you, then you became a, a dad and all these other great things. Hey, and I want to thank you for being the dad that you are. You know, I, you, I you, I, I know you said, I appreciate it, but bro, you don't understand. A lot of children would be blessed to have a, a dad like you. And I know the queen, I know the queen and the little princess definitely enjoy having you around. Man, and, and look, for the listeners, I didn't pay him to say that. <laughs> <laughs> I appreciate it, man. I really do. Hey, man, this was real. How's your day going? Oh, it's been a great day. Been productive at work, you know, with this pandemic going on and all of these um, people afraid of catching this and catching that, and the number is still not really declining. I've been fortunate enough to be blessed to be able to work from home. So I get up, <laughs> you know, take care of my personal hygiene, and I... Tell my wife I'm going to the office now. Wallow so down how, the how, you, how do you like working from home? Oh, I love it. I literally love it. I don't get caught in no traffic. I I, I haven't worn shoes <laughs> during the day. <laughs> and I know a year and a half. When I get home, I, I have I, I wear a polo or either a button now when I have an important video conference. But most times. It's shorts and a t-shirt. I don't even have on shoes. Damn, living the life. But still being productive, that's the key thing. They'll only allow me to do this as long as I can still perform all my duties and tasks. So will it be permanent or? Oh, no, it's not permanent. But right now, of course, you know my situation. I'm a, I'm a big guy and I'm pending going through uh, some surgical procedures to assist me in losing some weight so I can get my hips replaced. I have uh, no cartilage in my hips. Hold on one second. It's like a noise or something in the background. I'm not sure what it is. That was my chair. Oh, okay, okay, okay. Man, that might be good. It's picking up everything. <laughs> yeah, it do. Sometimes I pick up too much. But, um, <laughs> you know, my mobility situation, I have no cartilage in my hips. So I don't get around as good as I used to. So my office allows me to work from home still. There's still some people in the office still work from home. Some people go to the office. It all depends on their situation. But the key thing is they trust me to do what I'm supposed to do while I'm here. So as long as I maintain that, that level of respect and that level of professionalism, they'll allow me to work from home until I get able to go to the office. You know, the reason I had asked, do you like it? Because surprisingly, I talked to some people who didn't and 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 when they when they explain why I get it because some people like that human interaction just that um you know that camaraderie you have with your coworkers and though me and you haven't worked together like I know you as a person I know how friendly and you know friendly you are with people like you get along great with everybody so that's why I was wondering like do you at least miss that aspect of it 
Well, not really, because using Microsoft Teams, um, we we video conference each other all the time, whether it be a meeting or just a regular, hey, how you doing? What's going on with you? I can still see their face. They see mine. We communicate. We laugh. We joke. And we continue to work. And at the beginning of this pandemic, uh, we began what we called a virtual happy hour. Every Friday, the uh, personnel in the office would, as we all got off work, of course, about 6 o'clock or 530, depending on what day it was, we would all have a libation of our choice. And we dialed into a Zoom call for like 35, 45 minutes and just socialized with each other. And we got to know each other better doing that than we did. We were actually in the office together every day. Wow. Wow. That's 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 actually something interesting to do. I never thought about that. Well, I got I didn't think of it. My son uh, told me his office did that. So I introduced that idea to the individuals in my office and it just took off. And after a while, my son even joined us. <laughs> I told my son, he, he invented virtual bar hopping. He'd come to our happy hour, then go to, he had like one or two from his office that he would um, join. And I was like, okay, great. So you just invented virtual bar hopping on the same day, which is great. Okay. We're going to go back. We're going to go ahead and go to the beginning of Mr. Kyle. So let's tell the listeners, where'd you grow up? Where'd you grow up? I grew up in a small town, small town called Maxton, North Carolina. I mean, town so small. Most of my life, it only had one stoplight in it. <laughs> oh, you laugh, but I'm telling the truth. When I would tell people where I was from, they would laugh. But then I would tell them, "Here's what you got to understand: It's not where I'm from that counts. It's where I'm going. And right now, we're in the same place. Mm. You may, you may be from New York. I'm from Maxton, but right now, we're in the same place together." So who's progressed further, me or you? Hmm. That's an interesting way to look at it. That's that's real interesting. So it was so like what was the population? Because it since it was so small. I don't, I couldn't even begin to tell you. All I can tell you is my senior class had 83 graduates. Damn. Oh, small, a small 2A school, um, North Robinson County, North Carolina, but you know. We were friendly, we enjoyed each other, and everybody knew everybody. And I go to my hometown now, and it saddens me to see um, what the the younger generation has turned it into. It's no longer a, um, a very, very friendly community with everyone. It seems like everybody's gotten into the drug or gun gang thing. And it's not everyone, but it just seems like you hear about more than that than you used to do. We used to get together and play football on the weekends. Uh, we live, I, I lived down on Highway 74. We called ourselves the 74 Rattlesnakes. And we would play against the Uptown Boys or the Smithfield Gang or whatever, but we played sports against each other. We wasn't fighting and shooting at each other, you know, and we got together the next day and laughed and joked about it. Instead of someone uh, sending flowers to their funeral home, we all sit up and laugh together and joke the next day. Mm. You know, you 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 faced adversity very early. You lost your father what at age 10, 8, which one was it? 10 years old. 10. August 1st, 1976. What was that like to lose him so early? 
Well, it hurt because, you know, um, all growing up, you know, when you go to different functions in school, everyone else had their mom and dad there. My mom, I, I, I lived with my mom for a while and mostly with my grandmother. But, and my grandmother worked second shift. So all the activities that were happening at school, like foot, football games, basketball games, whatever, after school, my grandmother was at work. And my mom had already worked that, that shift, but she just was getting off work. So she wasn't there. So when everyone else on the team had someone in the stand to cheer them on and push them forward, I didn't. And um, thank God I, have a, I had an uncle who was also my minister. Um, he taught me the values of being a man because when my father died, at eight, my father died, he was only 30 years old. Wow. I was 10. I was 10. And my uncle stepped in to spend a lot of time with me, him and his three boys, my first cousin, but they were like brothers to me growing up. I was the oldest, I was the oldest grandchild on both sides of my family. So I didn't have a lot of people to look up to except mm. older people like uncles and stuff like that. I had one uncle in the military, another one who had uh, gotten in trouble and went to the penitentiary on my mom, mom's side. But my uncle on my dad's side, my uncle uh, William Manning, he stepped in, he was spending time with me on the weekend. I was spending time with him and his family. And he just showed me not only a spiritual wealth, but also taught me how it is to be a man in the household. You work to take care of your family. You provide for your family and everything else will take care of itself. And that's how I learned that aspect, watching my grandmother and my mom struggle to take care of me and my two younger sisters I want it better for myself as well as for my kids when I got, when I eventually had them. Cause losing my father at 10, I made a vow to myself that if I ever had kids, if I could help it, I would never miss an event. I was, I've not missed not one first day of school. Except when I went to Korea, I haven't missed one school play. I haven't missed a band concert. I've been sitting in the audience Listen to my kids squeak on their clarinet and saxophone. <laughs> hey, that's but that's my kid, but I'm there. <laughs> right. And and them knowing they, they can look in the audience and see mom and dad there was a great comfort to them. Wow, that's a blessing. Do you do you ever sit back and think, man, if it wasn't if I didn't have my uncle around, what life could have been? All the time. Because I, I love my grandmother, I love my mother. But it's an old saying that old people say all the time. A woman cannot teach a young boy how to be a man. Mm. They can teach me a lot of things. Now, I've learned a lot from my mother, my grandmother, and my aunts. But they couldn't teach me how to be a man. That's when my uncle came in. And I valued the lessons he taught me. And I tried to pass them along to my son all the time. Let's fast forward to your military career. Um, you you did 20, 20 years, right? 20 years, six months, one day, eight hours, two minutes, and 32 <laughs> seconds. <laughs> but, but who's counting? <laughs> <laughs> how, did, how did you arrive at this decision to join the military? Well, uh, when I finished high school, I told you I was, went to a small high school, and I j went to the University of North Carolina when I first graduated. 
And when I first got there, it was really a culture shock. I walked into my first class, which was a chemistry 11 class, and it was the size of an auditorium, the classroom was. And I didn't get there early, so I'm sitting at the back of the class, and the teacher's way down front writing on the overhead projector and scrolling up as she wrote. And it took me about a couple of weeks to get adjusted to those size classrooms, but I adapted. And then after a year and a half, almost two years in Carolina, uh, ran out of money, ran out of money. And I said, well, I can join the military for the college, you know, GI Bill, get some college money, then come back to school. So rather than put my grandmother and my mom in debt, trying to get, trying to keep me in school, I went ahead and I joined the army so I could make my own way, I told you. It's all about being that man, taking care of the people in my family by making sure I can take care of myself. Mm. And so when I joined the military, um, January 31st of 1985, I was like, this is not bad. I really like the military aspect of things, the com- like you said, the camaraderie, uh, the, the, the aspect of team. But I just didn't like the first job that I had because I came in on a, two, a two-year enlistment. You know, I, I was, a, I was a, mechan- a light wheel vehicle mechanic. What? I didn't know nothing. I didn't know nothing about cars and still don't. But <laughs> how, the hell, how the hell did you get that job? Because in order to come in for the two-year enlistment, they only had like two or three jobs available: light wheel vehicle mechanic, a petroleum specialist, and something else I had never heard of. So I said, "Well, I don't want to be around gas all day long, not knowing what it was." <laughs> so I said, "I'll be a mechanic. Maybe I can learn something about cars." Hey. Oh. <laughs> but but the key thing is it was only a two-year enlistment. Think about it. The first two months I'm gonna be in basic training. Mm-hmm. Then three and a half months after that, I was in AIT, advanced individual training, where you learn your job. Then I was fortunate enough to have some good recruiters. So I got selected for the hometown recruiter program. So basically on a two-year enlistment, I was in the army nine months before I even went to my first duty station. <laughs> so I only had like a year and three months left on my tour if I had elected to just get out at two years. But I met my first first sergeant. The first sergeant, for those who are not military, the first sergeant is the senior enlisted guy in a unit level. I walked in his office. He looked at me. He said, let me tell you something private. I've been doing this for a long time, and I got one one piece of advice for you. When it's not fun no more, it's time to go home. Mm. And I I didn't think about it when he looked at it until after I'd been in for a while, because at that particular time I was just learning, you know, the military structure. And for the first time to talk to me that way, I, I felt, you know, because in basic training, first time was almost like God's right hand. You know how it is. Yeah. <laughs> and the Lord knows Sarah Major was God's best friend. But, <laughs> but the thing is, he took, he's talked with me and understood. He let me understand that this could be a great career if I elected it. So wow. I stayed in. And after, after a year and a half, almost two years, I said, I don't really dislike the military at all. I kind of like where it's going, but I can't stay in this motor pool. 
So I had, uh, I've always considered myself rather intelligent and my test score reflected that. So I could have picked almost any career field that I wanted. So I elected to change it. I like helping people. So I changed my job to a personnel administration clerk. Mm. So I can so that way, not only am I helping taking care of soldiers and families, but my office got heat in the summer, in the winter, and air conditioning in the summer. <laughs> <laughs> let me back up. Let me back up a little bit because it's something that that I feel is important. Because, like at the beginning of our conversation, you mentioned you had family. You said an uncle that was in the military. Did that help influence your decision to go? No. It did not because um, when he joined the military, it was still during the late, the last part of Vietnam, and I really didn't know a lot about the military then. And the only thing that, in all honesty, the one thing influenced my decision to join the military: college money. That was it. That was <laughs> I know I needed money to finish, to finish my education. And that was the best way to get it without putting my mother or grandmother in any form of financial difficulties. Okay. Making my own way. Okay. And then, so why you know, you guys, so we're going to fast forward just a little bit. So you've been in the military and now you, you start to have a family. What year did you, how long were you in before you had your son? Uh, me and my wife got married. I met my wife New Year's Eve or New Year's Day, depending on what time it was. I don't remember. <laughs> and, and you laugh about it, but it, but it was, <laughs> I went to the club January 3rd. I went out, she was home from college, and I went out with my uncle and a friend of his on New Year's Eve. And I met her that night, but I can't say if it was before or after midnight. But, um, <laughs> but we met, we talked, and my friend, my uncle's friend got, I caught in some trouble that night. He got a DUI that night because he was trying to sneak away from the from the club. Him and a, a, a friend he had picked up at the club, and so the police had a roadblock, arrested him, and and uh, so they came and got me and said, "Hey, we need to go get him out of jail." And I was talking to her at the time, and I said, "Well, I'm busy right now." And I said, "He said, but he's in jail." I said, "Oh." I got to go, but and I asked her, "How can I get in contact with you?" <laughs> you know, because I couldn't leave him in there without right, trying right, to help right. him. Right. But at the same token, I knew it was something special about this one. So I'm like, "How can I get in contact with you?" So I can, I'll be in town tomorrow. How can I reach you? And she gave me, and get this, she gave me her cousin's phone number. I'll be at my cousin's house tomorrow. <laughs> Call me there. <laughs> and so. But she, but she did tell me that if I had left my friend in jail to try to talk to her, that she wouldn't even, she wouldn't even gave me the number because she said I was, that showed that I wasn't all about me, that I cared about other people besides myself at that particular time. Wow. Damn. That's, hmm. The Lord works in mysterious ways. Yeah. And, and that was literally almost 35 years ago. And um, we got we met. I'll say January first. Okay. And uh, and we got married the following December twenty sixth on her birthday. And I tell her it was destiny because on the day that we got married, her her uh, state ID expired. Her um, 
she was no longer Ida McDaniel. She became Ida Kowser. That's so I say it was fate for us to get married on your birthday when your ID expired because you go Ida McDaniel doesn't exist anymore. <laughs> so, now it's, so now it's Ida Kowser. <laughs> so that it was funny, but we, we laugh about it. But and that was 19 December 26 of 1986. And my son was born September 15th of 87 in Berlin, Germany. Wow. So does he so let me ask you, does that mean he had dual citizenship? No, no, he no, he does not, because me and my wife are both American citizens serving in the military. He was actually born on a military um, hospital. So he's full-blooded American. He thought that same thing at one time, too. I said, no, nah, son, that's not how it worked. Now, one of us was a German citizen, and he was born, say, for instance, if I had met it, for what I, the way I understood it is, if I had met a German uh, woman and we had a child, and he would have been born of a German citizen and an American citizen, he would have had dual citizenship then, and he, he would have had to age 18 to declare which one he wanted to be. Wow. wow, I didn't know that. So let me so let me ask you because you you know you you were in the military, then you you have your son. How did fatherhood change you? Oh man, that was the best thing that could ever happen to me. It, it makes you think about a lot of things a whole lot differently because getting married is one thing, and then you got to worry about someone else. But when you are responsible for a young life. And you you talk about, you, you you can attest to this. You talk about that unconditional love. Mm -hmm. Oh my God. Because no matter how bad a day you're having, no matter what went wrong at the office or this, that, and the other, when you walk home and that little two-year-old meets you at the front door <laughs> with a smile as big as the great outdoors, everything else don't matter no more. Nothing else matters because you're home. And then you got your child, my son, and then we had my daughter four years later. And I'm going to tell you, there's nothing like fatherhood. That's why I tell people all the time. I never wanted to be a father. I wanted to be a dad. And you what's know, the difference? Say, the difference is when, when your child is um, scared at night, they don't say father, father. They say daddy. Something mm -hmm. in front of my bed. Or when they out there riding their bicycle and they fall and scrape their knee. Daddy! It's daddy. <laughs> daddy's the one who kissed the boo-boos. Daddy's the one that made stuff go bumping, that, that take care of the, 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 the bad man hiding in the closet. Daddy's the one that makes sure there's nothing under the bed. Daddy's the one they come to when they need help. A father is just someone who helped produce them. But a daddy is the one that's there every day, day in, day out, in that day-to-day -day life struggle. Daddy is the one that they count on. Wow. So I've always strived to be a dad. It's okay to be a father, but I strive to be a dad. Mm. And I know a lot of good, good men out there who are truly dads, like yourself. I and I tell you, and, and I tell you this all the time, you know. It's a big difference being a father than a dad. A father is someone to just share DNA with. But dad, you share your soul with. You share your life with dad. Mm. And that's the difference. You you also talked about something, because this ties into what, my next topic, because you talked about, you know, unfortunately, your father passing while you were young. 
and you didn't get the you didn't really get the support not because of not out of love but just because of circumstances of your family being there and you said you made a promise to always be there for your kids as much as you could but we both know you know military offers different challenges so how were you able to make that possible because like i said you know military you got you don't have a normal nine to five. You could be on a 24-hour shift, just anything that could throw your schedule off. I've been very fortunate in my career. I've had a, some joint service career, joint service tours. Um, I've had leadership that understood how strong my ties to my family were. And uh, in Pensacola, Florida, I used to, volunteer at the elementary school my son went to. I taught a program called Math Superstars. I would go in and help, help kids learn different uh, math procedures. And, and I spent a lot of time in the school with my son. So what I would do is to offset that with my daughter, my daughter hadn't even started school yet, but once a month, I would, no matter what was going on in the office, I would, my, and everybody in my office knew this, but once a month, I would have a date with my daughter for lunch. Mm. I would come home. She would have her little dress on or her jeans, or whatever she wanted that particular day. And whatever restaurant she wanted to go to, that's where we went. And it was always just me and her, except one time I came home and I think my wife had coached her a little bit. She said, Dad, I want to go to Barn Hills. I said, OK, we can go to Barn Hills. She said, Daddy, can Mama go with us today? <laughs> and I said, <clears throat> and the time I said, yeah, baby, you want to, she can go, but she got riding in the back seat because you my date. And she, <laughs> felt, and she felt so special that she had a chance to ride in the front seat while Mama rode in the back. Did she remember this? Uh, she remembers some of it now, yes. Okay. So what was your son like at doing this? He was at school. Oh, okay. He was already in the third grade. My daughter hadn't started school yet. So, and I spent a lot of time in school with him. So as the offset, not to think I'm spending more time with one child than the other, me and my daughter had one day a month that we would go to lunch. And uh, one day this really came into play and everybody in my office knew it. One day uh, I was working on something in my office and 11.30 came up and it was my date day. So... <laughs> I was getting myself together to go out to lunch and my commander walked in my office. Said, Sergeant Kowser, um, you have the status on ABC. I can't remember exactly what you wanted. He said, well, can you get this to me as soon as you can? I said, sir, yes, but can I get this to you after lunch? And he he literally said, oh, the day's your date with your daughter, right? I said, yes, sir. He said, go ahead, go ahead, go ahead. I'll see you when you get back. Wow. And that's the type of leadership I've had, but I tell you, I've been blessed because um, you have all different types of leaders in the military. Some, and you learn something from all. You learn either, either you learn how to be a good leader or you learn what not to do when you become a leader. And fortunately, I had more that I learned good things from than bad. Okay. And they always understood my ties with my family. So, and it helps that you always accomplish your mission. See, people, I can't overestimate how important it is to do your job first. If you take care of the thing you're supposed to take care of and do your job appropriately, then people will help you. I'm going to ask you this question, and I don't, 
I, I, I'm sure it would be best answered by your kids, but I got you on the podcast. So I'm going to ask you, how do you, because you moved around and traveled so much, how do you think that influenced their upbringing? Oh, they loved it. Um, as a matter of fact, they got so used to moving and going different places. If we were somewhere more than three years, they were like, why are we still here? You know, because, <laughs> <laughs> especially my son, my daughter, not so much, but my son, every three years, we were up and moving, up and moving, up and moving, going, going, going. And like right now, my son has a, a travel bug. And um, he, he, he has a goal to visit all seven wonders of the world. He's been to six of them already. Wow. Because he 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 doesn't let his passport burn a hole in his pocket. He uses his passport. And he just he, he got the love of travel from my wife. You know, my wife and my son would sit up and watch Smithsonian Channel and they would learn about different areas, different cultures. And he said, Well, I want to go there and learn these things and do these certain things. And uh, I want that for my wife and me eventually when I get um, when I retire, we're going to do a lot of traveling too, but my son doing all the traveling now because he's still single. And he said, Dad, I'm going to do all my traveling now while I can. And so he, he's been to ooh, all seven ones of the world. And he even went back. To, he'll tell you he was born in Berlin, Germany, before the wall came down. And he went back to Berlin um, after he graduated college and been working for about a year or two. He went back to Germany and he caught the train up to Berlin and he asked for my old address. He actually went back to the house we lived in when he was born in Berlin. Wow. He took a picture of it. Wow. What was it like? You what was it like for you seeing that picture? Oh, memories. <laughs> I was like, wow, that is the house. I mean, you know, back then, you know, on third floor with no elevator, had to bring groceries up the stairs every time you go shopping. <laughs> but I was a young buck then, I could do that. <laughs> but it's just that I think being in the military taught my children how to be resilient, taught my kids how to be uh, um, ready for change and how to adapt to any given situation. And uh, when my son, he went to, North Carolina State University, um, graduated down there, and somebody asked him one day why he didn't select the HBCU. And uh, I, he just, just said that wasn't where he, he grew up in a very diverse environment. Mm -hmm. So I don't know if he would have um, really excelled at the HBCU because the way he acts, the way he, uh, he's very intelligent. He adapts to any given situation, but it's just that he's been diverse all his life. Okay. And going to NC State, although I'm a Tar Heel, but NC State was a great, great fit for him because he met some young people there who are just like him, very intelligent, very diverse, and they have all excelled. And I call them all my kids. So, yeah, he, he picked a great school for him. I was upset he didn't go to Carolina, <laughs> but then it, but Carolina didn't have an engineering program. He started off as an aerospace engineer. So. Okay, you now you got out. You know you did your twenty years. You got out, but before, but you know you all we all come to that. Well, not we all because I didn't retire, 
But those who retire, they have to come to that decision that it's over. Was it difficult for you to retire? Oh, no. Not at all. <laughs> no, I, and I'll explain, I'll explain to you why. I'll tell you I'm a big guy. And even my last couple years in the Army, I was a big guy, but I met the standard. Mm -hmm. And um, when, and I tell you, I go back to my, the words of my very first first sergeant. When it's not fun no more, it's time to go home. Mm -hmm. So I got to the point, I come to my last unit I came to, when I walked to the front door and I met the first sergeant and sergeant major, rather than shaking my hand, you know, the first thing he wanted to do was reach for a tape to see if I had met the body count or not. Didn't mm -hmm. know what I could do, didn't know what I could do for the organization, didn't know what type of soldier I was, they didn't care that I had won soldier of the year in 1992 for Lowry Air Force Base and the 1st Signal Brigade out of Fort Gordon, Georgia. They didn't care that I was NCO of this, NCO of that. They didn't, that didn't even concern them. They didn't look at my record or nothing. All they saw was a young man standing in front of them who looked heavy. Mm. They didn't see a soldier. They saw, all they saw was a heavy guy. But the fact that I met the body fat, and I actually um, took charge of them and ran their um, remedial PT program when I was there. But the thing is, they looked, they didn't look, ask me what I could do for the organization. They just looked at me and said, well, he must be overweight, which I wasn't at the time. I was when I got out. <laughs> well, at the time I wasn't because okay. I got to the point that I was like, it, it's time to go. And first sergeant was so right. When it's not fun no more, it's time to let it go. And, but luckily for me, I had some great leaders, even as my career was ending. Um, as you know, I work in family programs now. And I work at the Army Reserve Headquarters here at Fort Bragg, North Carolina. And I started in family programs in the Baltimore Recruiting Battalion, where I met your lovely wife. And my little, I, 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 she, she like my little sister, Deisha. <laughs> <laughs> and so, but before I retired, uh, the guy who did the Soldier and Family Assistance prior to me, Mr. Al Tame was about to retire as a civilian. And I tell you, I've been working with soldiers and families so long. And my, my supervisor, Major John Guatana, asked me, well, what are your plans when you retire? I said, I don't know yet. I'm going to look for a job. And since I had been working with Mr. Chambers already anyway, he said, well, would you like this job? I said, well, yes. So <laughs> what we did is I worked with him part-time while I was in my transition phase. And and being a retiree, you have certain you have certain uh, preferences as far as the GS system and disability ratings and all that stuff. So you have certain preferences. So uh, it was only a GS nine at the time. So I got hired with the uh, I forgot what they call the RFA or some kind of preference. Got hired in that same position. So I retired 31 July and 22 August. I, I came back in the door as a DA civilian, and I would have came in a two weeks earlier, but I had to get the paperwork together straight again. Wow. Same supervisor, almost the same office, you know, and all the work with the same people. And it was, it was great. I tell you, I was blessed. And I walked into that position, and it's been nothing but success since then. Um, I did that about two and a half years. Then I got promoted to GS-11 at the Baltimore Recruiting Battalion. And I worked there for, for about six to seven years. And then 
progression just brought me to Fort Bragg as uh, another promotion brought me to Fort Bragg. It brought me home. Yeah, it that's allowed, it, it, But more importantly, I didn't want to buy a house in Maryland because the cost of living was ridiculous. <laughs> but I, it allowed me to come here to North Carolina and buy a nice-sized home, only $200,000. You know, now this is my wife's home. This is ours. We were the first and only people to ever live here. Well, she wants to do with it, she can. And I feel I owe her that because, like I said, she's followed me around this world for 28 years before we finally settled down without hesitation, without complaining, because she knew that was a job that I had chosen and that's how I took care of our family. But she was always there with me. And I know I would not be anywhere right now without her by my side the entire way. You you have a you all you had an interesting dynamic and something that's very rare these days. Um, your wife actually, like you said, she follows you around, which means she didn't, as far as I know, I don't think she worked, correct? No, not since we left Germany. Okay. When, she, when we got to Denver in 1990, she was looking for a job and the cost of living in Denver was so high. By the time she got a job, she'd have been working just to pay for childcare. Mm. And so I decided, well, Tell you the old fashioned thing, give me again. My uncle, my grandmother, all them work ethic. I got a second job, and at one time, maybe had a third job to help take care of the family. But I think that benefited our family most because now my children were being raised by their parents. Yeah. And everybody can't say that because some people say, well, the, the daycare, they, they let my child get beat at daycare or they let somebody at the daycare do this to my child. We didn't have that issue. My, my, my wife, mama took care of her kids until they got to the age where they can go to school. And when they got off the school bus in the afternoon, mama was there to pick them up. Mama taught them the values that we have as a family, day one to day 365. Mama was there with them. And at times I got a little jealous because mama was always, being in the military, you know, a lot of time I would have to get up and leave home, you know, like I said, going to Korea uh, on a field problem or TDY, BNOC, you know, stuff like that. And it was always my wife and kids. I got a little jealous. Especially mm-hmm. when I came back from Korea because they had been going to mama so much that when they wanted something, they would walk right past me and go ask their mama. I said, I'm right here. That's me. I'm right here. I'm still dad. So when we got to Fort Meade, I think this was before I met you. Um, my wife, she she was sitting there and telling me things. She think I didn't listen to her, but I did. <laughs> and she was always saying that she, she did. It's always her and the kids, you know. But one day, I, it what really hit home with me was one day I was sitting in there watching television, and her and the kids were just laughing. I said, "What's so funny?" Oh, this is something that happened while you were gone here. And I'm like, well, well I want to know what's going on too. So <laughs> I got to the point, what I would do for about, I did this about a year or so. Once a quarter, once every three months, I had got to a little, little more rank on me by then. And we had started saving a little money here and there so I can do this now. But once a quarter, I would give my wife her weekend. And by that, I mean, I would take her, like we would go to like D.C., Alexandria or somewhere like that, get her a hotel room for the weekend by herself. 
She could sit in the tub and soak. She can do what she wanted to go shopping, whatever. And there's nobody to say, Mama, where is my honey? Have you seen Mama this, Mama that? There's nobody to bother her that whole weekend. This time for her to, um, she can sit in the tub and soak to turn into a prune if she wanted to. <laughs> and it, but, but what it did, it also gave me the opportunity to spend some one-on-one time with my kids mm. for us to develop our bond. Wow. And the first time, and the first weekend she went away, me, my kids, and one of my soldiers that lived down the street from me, <laughs> sorry, Luis Medina, I never forget it. <laughs> we put up a chain leak fence in my backyard. Didn't none of us know what we were doing, <laughs> <laughs> but we did it together. Me, my kids, and one of my soldiers. And I'm gonna tell you. You talking about that fence was the crookedest fence in God's <laughs> creation. But that fence produced so many memories for me and my kids to talk about and laugh about. Alone. And we used to talk about it in the day. My daughter with that post hole digger. My son trying to line up this fence as we going down. Just, <laughs> just little small things that don't mean a lot to everybody, but they meant the world to me. Because now I get a chance to spend some time with my kids that had that one-on-one with, with both my kids and no one else can, you can't take that from me. Yeah. That's time nobody can take from me. As we used to, on a two, we, once a week, when, when during the week, um, when the guy, kids got a little age on them, people have too much, uh, you know, I, I, you see it all the time. Now, phone, people sit down on the dinner table, whatever. Everybody got a fork in one hand and a phone in the other. <laughs> you laughing, you right? Lying, you ain't lying. That's a sad. It's funny, but it's sad too because you're not lying. So, so what I did is, me and my wife talked about it. And I tell you, I, 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 I don't give her all the credit she deserves. I mean, I would not be nowhere close to where I am without if I had not married the woman that I did marry. And we were said, what we're gonna do is every Tuesday at seven o'clock. All TVs turn off, all phones are turned off. We had family game night. Okay. We played Trivia Pursuit. We played um, Scrabble. We played anything. To, not only did we, have, did we play together, but something we we can learn from each other. And I think my wife and son were cheating. Come out, my, my wife, she threw a, a clue out, said a four-legged farm animal. And he said horse. Now, last time I checked, unless it's a bird, every animal on the farm got four letters, got four legs. How did he think about that? <laughs> think about it now. Unless it's a, a chicken or a duck or some a bird, every animal on the farm got four legs. Man, that's so how true. do you know that's exactly what she was talking about when she said a four-legged farm animal? They be cheating. I haven't figured out how. But they were cheating, but it was, usually it was me and my daughter against my wife and my son. Or after a little while, our family started to grow. Because my son and my daughter's friends found out what we were doing on Tuesday night. So it kinda, we kind of adopted kids along the way. Okay. Because everybody, parents wasn't doing that. But we did, and, it, and I think that the relationship that especially my wife had with my kids is special. I try to do the same thing. And um, we have our moments, but, you know, I, I always say that my daughter's a daddy's baby, but, mm -hmm. you know, actually, they both mama's babies, I know. 
<laughs> but and I've come and I've come to the realization. But and my son would say, Well, Dad, here's the thing. I learned from both of you. He says, I get my work cases from you, and I get my love of travel and stuff like that and reading from my mama. So I get the both of both. He's he smooths it up. He says, I got the best of both worlds. So I let him slide with that one. <laughs> He it makes me feel good for a little bit anyway, because he's doing such a great job for himself. You, I'm a, I want to end it with this because you you've done such excellent things with your career, army career and post career. What would you say you are the most proudest of? My family. You know, because no matter what job I had, no matter how much money I made, no matter what job I had, they were gonna be there all the way. And whether I'm out in the field or at the office, whatever, I leave everything outside once I walk in the front door of my home. That's when it's a whole new world and everything gets better and get brighter once I walk into the house. No matter what happens outside of the home, I never let it come into the home. And just knowing that they're always there when I get there. You know, I tell people all the time, my when, when my inner circle is together, it's me, my wife, and my two kids. When us four together, my world is complete. Wow. There's nothing, there's nothing in this world that we can't tackle together. And uh, I have an old saying, faith, family, and friends. And in that order, your faith, you know, your strong sense of God, if you believe, which I do, your friends, your family, your family first. And I don't mean just blood relatives. I'm talking about those people who are truly on your side, who you can always depend on. Mm-hmm. One who's there for you through thick and thin, no matter what. And then the rest of your friends, your associates. And your faith, your family, and your friends can get you through any situation. You know, I had a lot of situations back in 2018 when I lost my grandmother, my mother-in-law, and my mom all within five months. And then less than a year later, I lost my younger sister. But what I did not lose was my faith. I did not lose the rest of my family. And I did not lose my friends. Those three Fs got me through the entire situation. And I think with flying colors. Man, Mr. Cowser, I really, really, really appreciate you lending your time and your story to my podcast. It's truly been an honor. Hey, it's, I, I appreciate you letting me come in and, and talk with you like this. You know, I listen to you almost every week when you send me the new podcast. What I do, I see here as I work, I put my phone up against my screen and I hit play and I listen to Lamp. And I appreciate it, man. As I go along. I really for and I, and and again, I really appreciate all the support. Like I said, it's man. It's been now we're going on sixteen years of just good friendship and support. And and also, and I don't know if I say it enough, but thank you for your service, man, for 20 years dedicated to the country. Thank you. Well, thank you. And also, you. before before I end it, man, I need to say it because, you know, we don't tell each other enough. Man, I love you. I, I'm grateful for everything, the friend you've been, everything to me and my family. I love you. And I just, I'm thankful for the friendship and brotherhood we have. Much love for you too, big game. And for those on the podcast listening, I've always called this man Big Game James for a long time. (laughs) 
Yeah, just so they know, I didn't steal it from James Worthy. He the original, but I appreciate it. <laughs> I think Trey may started that, didn't he? I know I was using that. Uh, one it, of y'all it, did. It's either me or Trey Mac, one of us two. Yeah. One of y'all did. Y'all the only two called me that, so it, it works. <laughs> but like I said, brother, I, I really appreciate everything you do, man. I appreciate the support. I love you, man, and I just wish you all the best. Thank you, man. I appreciate it. Thanks for having me on. All right. I want to thank everyone for taking the time to listen to the podcast. I truly appreciate your support. You can follow me on Instagram at conversations underscore with underscore lamp. My Facebook is also conversations with lamp. You can listen to the podcast on SoundCloud and Apple podcasts. Again, thank you all for listening. Have a great day.